Welcome to the business of strength powered by Varsity House Gym, the podcast for strength entrepreneurs. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Business of Strength podcast. The holidays are over. It's 2020, and we're back in action, and we'll be bringing you some great new content for 2020. And we're starting off kind of right where we left off last time, which is, you know, I'm interviewing Dan and just kind of getting his perspective on, you know, the uh, uh, nearly 11 years that we've been together as a team and, and how, you know, things have changed and kind of his perspective on, you know, growing into, you know, a world-class strength entrepreneur himself and just like some of the, you know, journey that we've taken. This week alone, I've had I've been on the phone for three hours with different coaches around the country who are looking to partner up with a partner and thinking about, you know, they've had either had bad experiences or talk to people who had, you know, problems or issues and things like that. And, you know, I can only speak from my experience. I've been on both sides of the fence. I had a, I had a quasi partnership when I opened up my first gym that was awful. And I had a great partnership with Dan. And, and so, so, you know, we'll, we'll get some of Dan's insight as to, you know, what he's done over the years. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit, you know, candidly about, you know, what's kind of made things tick for me and him and, uh, and hopefully give everybody a little insight. So if there's, you know, if there's a couple gym owners out there who are looking to maybe partner up and they got a great coach or a great friend or somebody who's a good marketer that they want to kind of, you know, you know, partner up with and, you know, create a great team. Um, you know, there are, there are definitely some amazing positives to that. You just gotta, you know, put your ducks in the line and, you know, kind of do it the right way. So, um, you know, let's get right to the questions, Dan, and, you know, and, and get right at it. And, uh, so the first question I had for you, you know, obviously, you know, me and you started training together when you were, you were about 19, 20 years old, maybe about 20 or so. And, and we were working out, you know, in, in, in the garage. Um, and, and, you know, right away you, I know you were working in the gym industry. You were working, well, you were working for Parisi's doing like cool down, warm up, front desk, stuff like that. You know, what was it about the gym industry that you were attracted to? And why, why, why did the gym thing become the thing that you wanted to do? Man, I, I think I, like many other gym owners started working out at a young age be, to, to fill a void of, you know, I wasn't, amazing at any one particular sport and I realized uh, the more I hung around the weight room the better I got at those sports and the more uh, self-assured and and secure with my own self especially being in high school that you know everybody wants to look better feel better play better and I started hanging around the gym all the time and it was just a, a place of refuge for me and something that I enjoyed doing um so you know, obviously, uh, naturally, I started training at a gym in town. And um, my mom just suggested, well, why don't you try to get a job there? And um, I, wa- I walked into a brand new speed school, it was called NVSA at the time. And I said, Hey, you know, are you guys willing to hire me? And uh, they hired me to do front desk work. And that was my first exposure to the front end of a business. I learned how to pick up the phones, I learned how to take messages. And I learned how to sell really expensive training. Um, and I didn't think that I would ever end up going into the gym business at the time, but I got a lot of exposure at a young age. Uh, that facility changed over to a Parisi speed school where they asked me to go through a little bit of an internship program and start training people. And, uh, you know, obviously that in that business, um, I, I decided to seek out training for myself as, you know, at, after high school was over and that's when I sought you out to do some sure. hardcore, you know, garage gym training, uh, in the off seasons of playing at Rhode Island. And truth be told, I mean, 
I was focused about one thing in college and uh, I wish I could go back and, and realign and speak to that younger version of myself, but I was focused about on playing football. Yeah. I mean, doesn't everybody wish that though? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, of course, and, you, know. you know, when it was coming to an end and I realized that football was going to be over and I was going to be a 22, 23 year old dude with really no career path is really when I started to nudge you along and say, Hey man, like you want to, you, you need some help. So, you want to open up another gym? Yeah, but I didn't – when I was 15, I didn't think that <clears throat> I was going to own a gym one day. But when I look back at it now and what my exposure was at that age, it was sure. like I was in the gym every day after school. Um, my free time, like when I asked my parents like for a gift, it was to go become a member of a, what I thought was a cool gym. Sure. Um, and then in the summer times, like when most people are hanging out and going to the beach, I was asking my parents to like – you know, for money to go train with you. So, you know, it was like, that was kind of like, that was my hobby. And uh, when I realized that I could turn my hobby into a job and show up to work in sweatpants every day, I was like, holy shit, this is, this is, this could be pretty cool. Yeah. 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 No. And it was, I mean, it's kind of a very similar trajectory as myself. I mean, just being around football and sports my whole life. And then, you know, I was in gyms when I was 16 years old. I mean, we were, you know, I worked at a bulldog gym and uh, Pompton Lakes, New Jersey. Shout out to Jeff Futes and the crew that used to own that gym. It was a great place. We had a lot of fun. And it kind of just forged the foundation of like seeing what a gym business was like. I mean, you working in a gym at, you know, 17, 18 years old. And that place, you know, you know, obviously it, it's defunct now, but the inception of that place was amazing. And like there was, there was a buzz in the county about that place. And they had some great coaches coming in. There. They put a lot of money into the place. And, uh, and they were charging, you know, at that time, I don't think there was a place close to that that was charging those types of prices. I mean, they were charging thousands of dollars for training and stuff like that, you know, and they had some high end people and there's some like legit orthopedic doctors and stuff like that, that were partners. So, uh, cool stuff. So, you know, fast forward a few years, Dan and I, you know, Dan was working, you know, at the speed school and then he was training with me going to school full time. And to give you the short, short version of that, you know, we started, you know, me and him got pretty close. And obviously through that, I met mom and dad. I met, you know, Dottie and Rich. I met, you know, obviously you had Matt coming up to the gym a bunch. So I was training you and your little brother and, and a lot of your friends and the people that you in your circle of, you know, of 20 to 22 year old, you know, 18 to 22 year old me heads and his circle of like 11 to 14 year old me heads. And, uh, and then, so I obviously got close with your family and we started chatting a little bit about, you know, doing something as Dan was getting close to the graduation and, you know, you were, you know, basically, you know, wanting to do something and you were like, this is what I want to do and blah, blah, blah. So I remember having those conversations. So, you know, whatever, whatever led to that, we took the plunge and, in, you know, in 2009, we started, you know, you know, you were done with school that December, I believe, like right before 2009. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, and we basically, we basically, um, you know, started looking for space and started looking for another space. And we were all over the place. And, you know, we were kind of, we were, we had a third person involved in that process to begin with. And that wound up, you know, fizzling out, not for any bad reasons, just like they were not, they, they were not able to commit. It wound up being coming down to me and you, we found our space and, and we literally, you know, got to work. And, you know, so, you know, what was it like, you know, working with me, this is kind of a self-serving question in a sense, but like, what was it like working with me? And, you know, what were some of the thoughts? Like, what, what were your animosity, like not animosity, what was your, what was your, 
um, anticipation? What was the, you know, anxiety going into that? Were you, were you nervous? Were you scared? Did you, were you excited? A little bit of everything. Yeah. I mean, to, to answer that, I think I was too uh, naive to be nervous about what business was, to be honest. Like I knew that um, I was making a commitment to it and I was stubborn enough to, to say like, I'm going to make this work no matter what. And I, my needs as a 22 year old, like I didn't need to make X amount of dollars per week. Like I was living at home, like, you know, I was five minutes away from the gym and I was willing to, I knew that I was willing to do whatever it took to make it successful, but I didn't think I was, I wasn't, um, prepared for, I, I wasn't emotionally prepared for the ebbs and flows of a business owner. Sure. And I also wasn't a professional mm -hmm. and that is a, I would, I would recommend anybody listening to this show right now, read the book turning pro. I needed to read that book before I got into business because I thought I knew everything it was to be a business owner because I was a football player, yeah. honestly. And I felt like, well, if I could do winter workouts and if I could be a, you know, can, can go from being a preferred walk on to a scholarship athlete to a starter, like I could do anything. And that's how I felt. Mm -hmm. But, um, I wasn't prepared for that. And to, to go back to the beginning of the questions, what was it like working with you? I think, you at that point were a professional. So I was able to, like, I wouldn't have been able to do it without learning from you in a day-to-day -day environment being like, okay, well, this is how these things are conducted, like simple, simple shit. But I think a lot of times young, so there's a lot of young people that come into this industry and they don't know what it means to truly be a professional. And my recommendation to those people is get a mentor, you know, yeah. one that you either pay or somebody that'll let you tag around but you know I was fortunate enough to obviously be able to work with a mentor at that mm -hmm. point sure. and learn how to get shit done right? yeah you know I mean if I look back at my first you know with my deal with Rich right and you know for what everything that Rich wasn't right the one thing that I learned from Rich and obviously you know uh, and you're the same way and this is why I think me and you get along so well is that you know, I try never to go into any situation thinking about it like negatively because that's what it's going to be then. So I've always tried to take the positive out of everything. Like, you know, no matter me and you have done tons of things that turned out to be shitty business decisions, but we walked away with one or two nougats that were like positive, like, all right, well, we'll never do that again. But like, here's some things that came out of that really well. And like what came out of my situation with Rich was that dude showed up every day to work. Like he, he was the guy who was like looking at everything. Everything had to be in its perfect place. The, you had to mop the floor in the right direction, like stupid shit that most people wouldn't think of. But some of that stuff after a while, after three years of being with him, you know, and doing that, you know, like the consistency of coming in 15 minutes early, setting up a process, right? Totally. Doing a daily planner. Like Rich was a big, like plan. he would go home at night and make like, you know, 20 post-its, a to-do list and phone Listen, calls and for stuff. For him, for what it's worth, he's been in business now for almost 25 years. Yeah, and he's still there. And he's still and there. He's still so. there and he's still doing his thing. So, you know, uh, from a personality standpoint, it didn't work out with us and, and it would have never worked with the three of us. That's for sure. No. <laughs> <laughs> but but the reality was is that, you know, he does what he does really well. So uh, what, what was your mindset going into the partnership? So I know you said you were willing to do whatever, you know, it took to win, but like, you know, going in with a partner, you know, having to like, in a sense, 
you know, have somebody else to think about every day. It's like, it's not like, you know, I mean, maybe this was more of a question for me in a sense, but like, you know, having all of a sudden I was there for three years, basically didn't worried about me, me, me. And all of a sudden now it's like, all right, great. You know, I'm going to partner up with Dan. So now I got this young, this young guy, you know, fresh out of college guy that I, that I really like and I really think has a lot of potential that is now going to be my business partner. But we also, you know, went notch up from there. We're like, okay, great. We're going to hire an employee or two. We're going to like actually we moved to a bigger space. So there was right. a lot going on. So what was the mindset? What were some, I could kind of rephrase that, you know, what are some key things that you were thinking of back then in terms of, you know, making the partnership work and making sure yeah. that our dynamic was, yeah, you know, was totally. solid. Well, back then we didn't have core values, no. you know, so, um, warrior training, but that was the core value, <laughs> but a core value that we stand behind today is, is commitment. And yeah. I think we had that core value. We sure. just didn't know how to verbalize it. Sure. And I knew that I was committed to the partnership where I think a lot of times people go into something and they're like, well, what am I going to get out of this? Yeah. And what can this person do for me? And I, I definitely, it wasn't like I, I was going into it like, well, I'm not going to make any money doing this or you know, Joe doesn't know shit about that or whatever. Like, obviously there's human nature going into the deal, but I knew that like for better or worse, I wasn't going to give it my best shot. Mm -hmm. And ultimately when you know that and, and you kind of burn the ships, yeah, yeah, yeah. then there's kind of only one way and you're committed to making it work. And that's yeah. underlying, that's the foundation of it all. And like the second thing was my mindset, my mindset, I was, I was 22. Two, 23 yeah. my mindset was that I was trying to prove my worth every single day and sure. at that point you had a book of business and you were respecting the community as a coach and I wanted to try and transcend you know my ability like you know maybe being known like just by like my coach and some of my peers as a mm -hmm. player like I wanted to become I wanted to become a far better coach than I ever was as a player sure and I had to go and you know, take a non-traditional route and go get certifications and mentorships and, you know, and almost intern in a sense, because I wanted to be a person of value in our partnership. That was very important to me. Yeah. And I remember, I remember sitting down with you many hours and like going over programming and you were very interested in that and you were trying to find ways, always asking me, how can I, you know, learn more, do more, what should we do here? You know, asking questions about the programming and stuff like that. So you know, I think that uh, I think that's great insight there in terms of going into it with an open mind. You know, I had a conversation yesterday with a with another gym owner who's thinking about partnering up, and he asked a lot of questions about like you know their roles and responsibilities and stuff like that. And I said, you know, the most important thing is that you guys like respect each other and treat yeah. each other like equals. Mm -hmm. You know, and even though, like I said, you know, not to go into all the details of our partnership, but when we started, we were, you know, we had an uneven partnership. Like, you know, I, I, I owned more of the business than you did, but you know, I, I, in my head, I had already literally by the time we got from like, I say, you know, we part, I think it was May, May around, right around May 15th or so in, in that we like solidified all of our deals and we moved into that space. May right? one. So May one. Right. And, um, you know, by like, you know, by like the end of that year, I was already like, all right, like, you know, Dan's legit. Dan's the real deal. I know we can do this together. And I know that in the next couple of years, like I, we have to have a plan for making sure that things are even, and I, and I, you know, even though I was, we always had, at least for the first few years now, it's obviously now we're, you're, you know, you're, you're 33 years old. It's things are very different now, but like, you know, for those first couple of years, you know, there was always that kind of like coach mentor relationship or like that big brother type of relationship. So there's always going to be times where maybe I got on here or do whatever, like, you know, but the reality was, is that we never treated each other 
with disrespect. No. We never, like, I never, you were always part of every decision. You but were always part of every type of thing that went on in the gym. And come back to that too, though, real quick, is that there's two things that I would look for with a business partner. If you are listening to this and thinking that maybe this is an, a route that you would like to entertain. The first thing, this is, again, my opinion, is you cannot go into business, into a service-based business when one of the partners doesn't want a fucking service business. Right. There is no such thing as that. And I don't care how much money somebody's willing to throw at you or how many Facebook ads they're going to do. If their ass isn't on the floor no. grinding with you, then it ain't going to work. It's not going to work. The people I knew from the beginning that you were willing to work and I was willing to work and work hard is what we did. Yeah, yeah. So there was no animosity there. And yeah. I think when I speak to people that have par uh, problems with partnerships, it's, it's almost always a silent partner. Of, co of course. Almost and always. how are we buying this person out? Because in the beginning, what's $25,000, $50,000 worth to you? Like in the beginning, it might mean everything. I mean, 50 grand would have been like life changing. Yeah, but, like, but, it, but, but if you stay in business for five years, that money's long gone. Yeah, and lost, you're still yeah. paying that person 50%. Yeah. Give me a break. So find somebody that's willing to work. Yeah. That's really important, especially in a service-based business, especially. Yeah. That's number one. Number two is you have, in any relationship, you have to have some thick skin and you have to be willing to say what is on your mind in a respectful manner. And the one thing I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't have a problem telling you no. that maybe something was wrong, even in that mentor, like, big no, bro, no, like no. if I felt like something was wrong or incorrect, I wasn't going to like say it in front of clients or anything like that, but I was going to say like, Hey man, like I think this should be done this way. And here's why, Yeah, you know, and yeah. you have to be willing to have the, the lines of communication have to go both ways. They have to, we almost only killed each other once. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, but, you I know, mean, I, I think I, I yelled more at Trevor than I yelled at you. <laughs> Trevor got the brunt of a lot of, of, of a lot of, a lot of emotions back in the early days. Happy birthday, Trevor. Happy birthday T. You know, so, so, you know, that, I mean, that's awesome stuff. I mean, I really do think that, you know, and, and look, and for people listen, you know, you said, you, you said it before for better or for worse. I mean, it sounds a lot like a marriage and, and, and it is because your business partner can kill you financially. I mean, a, a failed marriage or a failed business partner that can kill you financially and set you up for failure. I mean, that could ruin you for years and years and years to come. Mm -hmm. So just as you would put your due diligence into marrying a spouse and, you know, having a real husband or wife, you got to do your same due diligence when it comes to having a partner. And, you know, like, like the call I had yesterday, you know, I told that person like, you know, get out and do some business with that person before you make a real time commitment, get out and do some business with that person. And, you know, so that brings me to the next question. You know, what were some of the things that you did early on to, you know, kind of, let's call it create some, you know, legs for what you were doing, give, add more value to the company and, and, and set yourself apart in the beginning. Like what were some of the things that you were trying to do, you know, uh, that you figured like, Oh, this is, this is, this gives me my unique position in a sense. Hmm. It, in terms of setting, in terms of setting myself apart, <clears throat> I know from the beginning, um, Business was always something that I was interested in. And I started 
studying business practices from the beginning where I think a lot of people, um, sports performance coaches, especially it's like, when's the next perform better summit? When's the next time I could go to elite FTS? And we were doing all those things, but I was also reading Gary Vaynerchuk books. I was going, I was reading Pat Rigsby's, um, newsletter, like from the very beginning, I was getting a lot of exposure, like speaking to my dad about business, like on a weekly basis, like just things like that were, that were really influential, influential where I was thinking and aligning what the gym was as like, I wanted it to be a real business. Yeah. And that was one of the things me and you identified from early on, like, you know, obviously, you know, the gym we named, I, you know, when I named the gym, it was varsity house. And it was like, just, I thought it was a really cool name and I wanted it to represent like the vibe of what we were doing, but I never wanted to call it like, you know, Riggio training systems or anything like that. Not that there's anything wrong with somebody like, you know, you got Joe D Cressy, there's nothing wrong with that Robinson. I mean, some of the best in the industry, you know, they've named it after themselves and there's nothing about nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But, but for me, for my mission was part of it was to build this great team. And, you know, and I, I always thought kind of in a similar fashion where it was like the business trajectory was something that I really wanted to focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, and as now, you know, I always wanted to be a great coach and I still feel like we are great coaches, but, but our trajectory has taken us yeah. you know, in a different path in a sense. And like some, some energy that I definitely tried to harness from the beginning is I remember like, graduating and and starting on this career path and I remember that like first year year and a half maybe even two years like it definitely was an untraditional path yeah for for most um especially around here um and I remember people asking me like oh well is that like a part-time job people still ask me that and like do you do that full-time or you know is like are you going back to school like and they didn't the validity like pissed me off of being like, what do you mean? Is this a full-time job? Like, and it, it fueled me to, to want to really grow the business to be like what it is. When I still do, I talked to my aunt Joanne in Arizona. So like, are you still doing the gym thing? (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, aunt Joanne, I'm doing the gym thing big. Like I was like, the gym thing is the thing, Aunt Joanne. Like, yeah, like this is it. This is it. Like yeah. this is what I do. Oh, that sounds nice, honey. You know. Yeah. So I mean, one of the, I mean, so I mean, what I was thinking of, and kind of where I was going with that question that you did not hit upon was just the was the the fact that you you know we started the Lyman U thing, and that was kind yeah, of a yeah, niche yeah. that you created there. So like obviously you know you know Dan being a Lyman in college you know, and his brother being a lineman and having like a lot of ties to some of the local coaches, you know, was like, Hey, I can help, you know, develop some kids. And we started like a little lineman you mm-hmm. camp. And we, we did like, we did camps. We started, I mean, not to get individual lineman training, we did lineman training. We started a, a athlete marketing company called varsity highlights. We yep. did a camp. We did, I mean, we did it all. We probably well, did look, too those, much. And those <laughs> were kind of your ideas. I mean, so in, in a sense, those were your ways of saying like, Hey, you know, Joe's the kind of coach, you know, performance guy, like, how can I, you know, in a sense, create that same type of niche and expertise in the area. So like, I'm going to start coaching kids and doing live. And some of the kids that you coached literally became our best clients for years. And a couple, I mean, Marty's still here training. JT, we still talk to all the time. Migs is still here in the gym. You know, the, the Kennedy, 
Gillen. Gillen. I mean, exactly. So there's, I mean, there's, there's at least a half a dozen to a dozen people that came from that, that are still part of the gym, you know, almost 11 years later. So, and, and the other thing I was thinking was just the coaching, the fact that, you know, you got a great opportunity to coach yeah. um, and, and, you know, work, work, be a lineman coach and offensive coordinator and like, you know, doing all that. It's weird. I don't even like, I, it seems so f- so long ago. I mean, it was two years of you driving back and forth. You would literally come to the seasons. gym. Yeah, yeah. yeah three, come to the gym in the morning, get work done, drive to practice, come back, coach all night. Now, at that time, we were coaching until 9, 30, yeah. 10. We weren't getting rough. home until 10 at night, you know, four or five days a week. And Fridays, we were there till like 7. You know, it was like literally the most miserable hours ever. So And know. Saturday and Sunday. And Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> we were not the smart ones to close no. the gym uh, on Sundays. So... <clears throat> So, all right. So what's a, give me, give me one of your, you know, give me one of your, uh, uh, give me a funny or like, or, or bad memory. Something, what, what's something that you remember from those early days that like you, we look back now and like laugh at? I mean, we've, I think we've talked about it on the show before here, but our old gym used to flood and literally like we'd be in the middle of a training session and like peeking, we had no windows and peeking out the front door would be like, is it going to be a flash flood? Is it going to be a flash flood? And there was like multiple instances where the gym flooded like in, in like six inches of water and like people would be in the gym. I just remember thinking like, we're going to have to close for two weeks and we're going to go out of business. And like, I look back on it now and we literally had clients like bailing, like shop vacuuming and taking buckets of water out of the gym. And I think about it now, like, you know, one of them is Justin, like DeCrescente and like Eileen yeah. Lewis and Diane yeah. Smith. Like they're all still with us. And like, that's how they probably remember the gym. And, <laughs> and, uh, for better or for worse. and like, it's crazy though, that, you know, you talk about building, um, camaraderie. Yeah. It usually takes going through, like a lot of our staff members were, were, were on the staff then like big Mike saw all that shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. It was a ter- it was Joey terrible. Joey was an athlete. Yeah, Joey was, was training with us as a high yeah. school kid. It was horrible going through it. Yeah. But looking back on it, it's just like, holy shit. How did we get people to pay us money to train in that place? Piece of like, shit. This place gym, sucked. Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, I mean, remember, you know, you know, John D was training with us, and John helped us out a lot. And it's funny, I spoke to John today, you know, and, uh, and, and we were kind of reminiscent about that, but you know, he brought over, remember we had like 20 blower fans, the whistle mm-hmm. fans, he had all those dehumidifiers we had to rent. And I remember like Migs and his dad coming with their shop backs mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And that, that was a mess. And that happened like solid, like bad, like that, like three times. And then real felt, bad, like real bad, like the whole gym flooded with water bad. Uh, one of the memories that I always think about, and this is like a little, maybe a little bit, you know, I remember we were so prideful when we opened up that second space, you know, when I moved out of the space that I was in and me and you had our first place together. And I remember being so, you know, I just like, like fresh start, clean slate, like here we go. And I remember going, I remember walking into that gym. You remember, you know, remember, remember how little equipment we had for how much space we had been about five. Yeah. We had 5,000 square feet and two racks and a dumbbells and a platform. That was it. And I remember going in there one day earlier by myself, and I opened the door and here's our new gym. And I look in and I'm like, oh my God, look how awesome my gym is, right? I love it here, right? And I'm thinking, and now I look back at some of those pictures and it was like, there was nothing on the walls. It was bare white. We had that, we had that shitty turf that we got. It was like a, it was like a retrofitted rec turf. It was a solid, it was a used soccer turf that we retrofitted for the gym. 
and there was two racks and we made i made paper signs at montclair state on the plotter yep. printer i made the big varsity house sign out of paper that we put on the wall and we hung up there for like five years they were always there you know yeah. but, but, uh, like i i definitely have another memory too like speaking of that i remember the day that we left like obviously we we're like oh my god we got to get out of here we were having lease issues and obviously we had an unbelievable opportunity to come to the space that we're at now but i remember sitting at the top of those steps sat down i was the only one there and i looked around i was like man i'm gonna miss this place mm -hmm. i remember leaving the turf was all ripped up hide ripped up the turf <laughs> uh i locked the door and I returned the key. I had to put the key in the mailbox or whatever. And the funny thing is, is thinking about it now, the place is a mile away. I've never pulled back there, not once, ever since. Really? Never. No, I've been back there like, you know, it's funny. I've probably only been back there like twice, but I, don't, I mean, honestly, I just went back there to see Joe Power, bro. Yeah, I've never, you know, I've never up. been back. Yeah, I mean. So, yeah. and I, but I remember vividly our la my last night leaving yeah. and locking the place. I remember, this is a crazy story about that too. For anybody that watches Hard Knocks or is an NFL fan, the fullback, John Connor, yep. reached out to us because he got cut that week and he needed a place to train for two weeks. I remember Big Mike training John Connor. There was no equipment there anymore, but Big Mike took some dumbbells, a kettlebell, and ropes and trained John Connor in the old gym that was bare for two weeks. Yeah. So you can make it happen with any type of client. Yeah in any type of space if when there's a will there's a way but that yeah, was a cool yeah. story no absolutely i mean i i i, I mean i remember it was kind of you know it's kind of like uh, you know in, sad in a way right because like what we have now is so much better in every way so much more of a business and well run and just our space is beautiful but it's it but it will never be that and it was it's never the same and like the vibe that was in coming from the garage the garage was a special place and it's just yeah. it just is what it is and it's just you know that we've kept so many aspects of the vibe and the core values and the mission but it, but you can't reproduce you know that that sweat lodge that was the garage and the, the leaky roofs and all the memories so that's awesome um you know what are some things that you focus on now so obviously it's been 11 years now and and you know i i've i obviously i've been in the industry a long time and me and you have you know, in a sense, toured around the world, you know, toured around the country, been to the UK a few times, all over the US, meeting with gym owners and other, you know, strength entrepreneurs and things like that. You know, uh, what are some things that you've done to grow as a businessman? And what are a couple of things that like you would recommend other young coaches coming in to focus on from a business perspective? This might sound weird, <clears throat> but don't over consume. And I, mm -hmm. I, I talked to somebody about this and you and I have talked about this a lot, a lot is that you, you only get paid for what you get done. Right. And you can, you can consume five books a month, but if you only retain 10% of the knowledge and you don't apply any of it, you ain't getting paid for any of it. So the biggest thing for me is I try not to consume more than, um, more than one book a month. I don't over consume podcasts. I'll listen to one a week and I try and take action based on that podcast. I mean like, all right, what's the lesson here and how can I apply it to this week's team meeting? How can I apply it to my next article? Um, how is this helping me with my copywriting? Like I want to every, 
time is, 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 is limited. So I need to make sure that if I'm investing in, in research or I'm investing in somebody else, that it's going to be applicable to what, what we're doing here on a weekly basis. So don't overconsume. I was talking to a business owner in Georgia that was like, I, I read, you know, he's pumped up, he's fired up. He reads, he, he, he listens to a million podcasts and he's like, dude, I feel overwhelmed because this person's telling me to do this thing. And this person's telling me to do that thing. Stop it's like, listening to everybody. Stop listening to everybody. Because the thing is about it is that like a lot of people have a lot of really good advice. Yeah, sure. And just focus on one person and give them a, give, give it a commitment. If you like their show, stay committed to it. Like if you like the book, finish it all the way through, reread it. Yeah. Read your notes. Like, and, and apply what you're learning. So don't overconsume. That's uh, this, great advice. And, and the second thing I would say is get out of your bubble. Okay. There's not a, there's not a Every single time my wife and I are on vacation, I'll go to a local gym. Like I love going to California. There's a million awesome gyms in California. I don't have, there doesn't need to be a seminar to go check out unbreakable performance. I called the gym. Hey, I want to come down and train. I've trained there three times. I've gone to the dog pound in, in Hollywood. I was there for 10 minutes. I just want to see what it looks like. I want to see what it, the vibe is like. I don't need to go for a seminar. Now, do we do a lot of continued education? Of course, but you should get outside of the bubble that is that, that you create in your four walls and go experience everything from a coaching standpoint, what the culture feels like, what the, what the, what kind of clothing the coaches are wearing, all of it and yeah. take it all in. And, and there's not a single event that we've ever been to where I've left and been like, man, that was a waste of time. Now there's certain, I've been to some, we've been to some awesome events and we've and, been to some stinkers and some, some are not good, but there's not a single one where I've regretted going. No, we've taken like, again, take the positive out of everything. And like, another thing is like, mean you make tons of parallels to the restaurant and hotel industry and because it's a service industry and like you know next time you're on vacation you don't have to stay at the four seasons to go to the four seasons mm -hmm. you know you're on vacation in a nice city go walk into a ritz carlton and have a drink totally. at the bar you know go 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 say what's up to the concierge sit in the lobby and see what the type of that's, service that goes on that's there. a really good point because you know, if you want that's a really good point if you want to run a million dollar operation and you've never been to a million dollar operation, it's hard to even visualize. It's it. hard. Yeah. You got to know what it looks like, smells like, what the touch points are. Like you have to feel that. Yes. And you have to experience it for yourself. You walk into a Ritz Carlton at in like, like Manhattan, you go to the Plaza hotel, you go to the park Meridian, right? You go to the Waldorf. It's like, it's literally like walking into a different universe mm -hmm. compared to like just going to your average hotel, right? So the plaza is 1200 a night right, for right. a standard room. Right. So I don't, I don't get rooms at the plaza, but I go have a drink at the plaza, you know, <laughs> and a $40 Manhattan. Yeah. You get, you get a $40 Manhattan, but you want to see the level of service, customer service, the ability to learn and level up is everywhere. Right. So it's just kind of, that's, that's great. Great stuff, Dan. And I think that's a, uh, I think, I think it's key when you, uh, one thing about over consuming that I want to mention is like, I, I, I definitely fell victim to that, you know, and, and I know you have as well. There's been times where me and you were totally like podcast reading, listening, like just nonstop. Right. But what I like to do now is like, so let's say I find somebody that I really like, like, like Gino Wickman, right. When we started reading Gino years ago and reading all the traction books, I read 
every one of his books. I subscribed to the newsletter. I was listening to his podcast and it was like, I consumed everything that he had out and then moved on to the next thing. And you know, then it's Dan Kennedy. I want to learn everything about email copy and, and, and marketing, read all the Dan Kennedy books, subscribe to the podcast, get on the newsletter, you know, and consume, consume, consume. Because if you bounce around, it's like, it's, it would be like an athlete having, you know, let's say a sprinter has, four different sprint coaches yeah. how the hell it's like or or a quarterback having four different quarterback coaches in four years no, like, absolutely you're always going to have some issues there um I'm, I'm, let's let's go on let's go to number eight let's skip one explain so now that you're now that you're a full-fledged you know seasoned strength entrepreneur and 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 obviously you know in 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 my humble opinion obviously you're my partner you know i think one of the one of the best gym owners in the country uh, and and you know, what, what are some of the things that, you know, you've done to improve your leadership and what, uh, what are the things that like, that like a lot of, like, let's call it like Gina Wickman talks about, like, what's your leadership technique? Like, how do you connect with the people? How do you make an impact in a positive way? And what are some things that you do there that, you know, you, you, ign- that you consciously make an effort to, to, to do on a regular basis? <clears throat> so that's a, that's a good question. Um, the first thing is, is I, this, this had to come with maturity for me, but avoidance of any situations is, is not a strategy. Yeah. Uh, A lack of communication is not a strategy. Um, I probably would be classified as many by like being a very sociable person, but also I could be very reserved and private about something that might be like you know, a real issue, a real problem, because don't want, I don't seek confrontation, right? Like some people are confrontational. I, I, I'm not. So, um, but avoiding something usually from, from my personal experience and our experience here makes it worse. And, uh, so not attacking is a bad word, but addressing something before it becomes a real problem is something that I've been, that is something that I conscientiously think about every single week. And um, another thing is, is that um, personally, I don't try and um, hang anybody out to dry. So if they're, if they're expected to bring something to the team, or if they're expected to train somebody, if they're expected to go, whatever the expectation is, I try and always make sure that they are in a position to win sure and that they're above the bar to win and that they know that there's somebody from an ownership role that has their back hey where do you need support or hey like i try to meet them on their level of being like hey like let's have a conversation about what's going to get you above the bar or hey here's a reminder you know that you have this coming up whereas i almost feel like sometimes leaders it's just like you you give person objective and then you don't you don't follow through with it at all. And then like you lead them to this meeting and they're unprepared and they give a shitty presentation. Well, that's on you as much as it is on them. Sure. Because I, again, speaking to somebody this morning about this, ultimately as the, as the owner of a franchise, the wins and losses fall upon you no matter what. Yeah. No matter, no matter what, no matter what. So like, I don't want anybody to feel like I want them to be unsuccessful. I want everybody to succeed. And 
you know, I want people on our team to get credit for it. Sure. And, um, well, I think I, that goes back to like, kind of like the Patriots, right. And Bill yeah. Belichick, like Bill, everybody always says like, all Bill wants to do is see everybody do well, you know, and, he and puts, like, it tries to put everybody in a great position. To let win. me give you an example. Like I was using this example before because I love using the Patriots. Not that I'm a huge, I'm not a Patriots fan, but let's use another example of ownership being, being the issue and pointing the finger. Everybody knows the Redskins, Dan Schneider. He, they've had more coaching and personnel changes there in the last decade than probably any other franchise. And ultimately who does everybody think the asshole is? Ownership. Mm-hmm. Dan Schneider, like he's the asshole, but he's obviously not going to fire himself, right. but he is the issue. You know, whereas you get a guy like Bill Belichick, but you look at, you know, Robert Kraft, whether you like him or not, he's done an unbelievable job of putting the right people in the right seats. Sure. And like the Patriots win and he has all these Super Bowls and he's going to be considered one of the best owners in NFL history. Sure. And you For get sure. a guy like this dude on the Giants, Judge. Nobody knew that who the heck he was, but because he's a winner and he's from that franchise, he's getting the opportunity that he is right now. Sure. So just further, I guess coming back to the question without going on a huge tangent is that my leadership style is that I want everybody on our staff to know and make it ever apparent that I'm in, in this thing to win as a unit. And then if we all win together, It'll be beneficial for for everybody. It's not like the Dan and Joe show. Sure. No, I think, look, I mean, I think we've gone out of our way to make sure that we include everybody in some aspect of the business, that everybody has a voice in something. There's not a person that works. There's not a person that works here that hasn't played a role in creating some aspect of whether it's a program, a business, or involved in the business of strength, or even. Even, even, even just giving ownership to certain, you know, task at the front desk with a part-time employee, just saying like, Hey, you're in charge of this. And it like gives them. So when we have a team meeting, we can acknowledge, Hey, you know, so-and-so did an amazing job with, you know, all the clothing orders or whatever it is like Susan or something like that, you know? So I think, I think that's a really key point. And uh, last question, Dan, where are you going to be in 10 years? You know, are we still going to be rocking this boat or what? Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> look, in 10 years, I don't like to peg certain things of being like, you know, you got to have your vision and exactly where you're living in the exact house. But, you know, I have a pretty good idea of personally where I'd like to be in 10 years and professionally, uh, it hangs on our wall. Um, we want to be recognized as world leaders in this, in this industry and, um, teaching others, um, is something that I'm really passionate about, uh, with the business of strength, um, enabling others here to have uh, real careers and careers that can take them from point A to retirement is something that like really in terms of a legacy standpoint, I want to be able to provide that opportunity for others. Um, And I think that uh, varsity house gym will be something that sticks around and, and, and lasts the test of time. And varsity house gym is, is one standalone facility right now, but in 10 years, who knows what will happen. Sure. That's awesome, man. It's been a wild ride. The first 10 has been awesome. Here's to the next 10. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, so thanks for listening, everybody. Don't forget to give us a five-star iTunes review. If you like these podcasts, it really helps us out. And uh, thanks for another great episode, Dan. And this is The Business of Strength. Take Peace care, out. everyone. The Business of Strength, powered by Varsity House Gym. Turn your passion into your profession and learn how to run a world-class business.